Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Commons People, Huffington Post UK's political podcast. My name is Owen Bennett and I'm joined this week by Paul War and Ned Simons. We'll be talking through the biggest political stories of the week. First of all, we're going to talk about Google and the fact that it's agreed to pay £130 million in taxes. Is it enough? Uh, David Cameron referring to people gathered at Calais as a bunch of migrants. There's more trouble ahead for the EU referendum. It might not be taking place in June if David Cameron can't secure his renegotiation. And it's been a bad week for Ian Duncan Smith. But let's kick off um, with Google. George Osborne held it as a major success, but the deal struck between Taxman and the internet giant has not been as warmly welcomed by others. Google agreed to pay $130 million in taxes as part of a deal stretching back to 2005. Some experts claim this represents just 3% of its UK profits over the time period. Here is Labour MP Diana Johnson asking Treasury Minister David Gork about the deal on Monday in the Commons. Uh, The Minister says that this deal does not amount to a 3% tax rate for Google. So for the sake of public confidence, can you just say what the actual tax rate is? Good question. Uh, no, the position is that there's taxpayer, because of taxpayer confidentiality, the point I was making... The laughter there in the comments as David Cork was unable to say whether this represented 3% or not. As we go to record, actually, Google and HMRC bosses will be hauled before the Public Accounts Committee on February the 11th to explain the deal. Paul, talk us through this. £130 million doesn't sound like a lot of money for Google. Well, it's not a lot of money when it comes to their global uh, profits, obviously, and also their profits, you might say, that are calculated from what they earn on sales in the UK. But, and it's a big but, and this is what the Treasury says, what George Osborne says, look, within the current rules, you don't tax people according to the profits in the country. You have to only really set that corporation tax according to their assets, and they don't have many assets, fixed assets in the UK. Why? Because they're all in Ireland. Now, this opens up a much bigger issue is... Why is Ireland the home to places like Facebook, Google, LinkedIn? It's a no-brainer. because they've got Guinness. Very, it, it, <laughs> it's not just the it's Guinness. Just the it's Guinness. because they've got a very, very attractive corporate tax structure, low taxes. And in a strange way, George Osborne's been hoist by his own petard here because he's a big believer in low corporate taxes. That's why this government is moving towards low corporation mm. taxes. It's cutting them every year. Um, And it wants to join in that little arms race, you might say. So ultimately, the only solution for this government is actually to set lower taxes rather than tackle them um, at at source and say that that there's a a big corporate problem. There is another another issue here, which is George Osborne, of course. The only reason this is a story is George Osborne totally oversold it. Last Friday night, Owen was not in the country, he was in Cuba, fortunately. Um, But last Friday night, what happened was um, George Osborne sent out a tweet at midnight welcoming the quotes victory. Hold on, Friday night at midnight. So George Osborne's (laughs) drunk, right? (laughs) That's amusing. We've all done this, haven't we? Or even James Chapman is spin doctor. Who knows? It's quite often in the pub, but they would settle a really bad tax deal with Google. (laughs) 
<laughs> but, but what happened was, and curiously, Google themselves had actually pre-briefed it to a couple of outlets, the FT and the Guardian. That infuriated a lot of the media anyway. I mean, what a dumb way to do UPR. Just give it a couple of selected outlets and then have the chance to tweet about how it was a great success. No wonder there was a media backlash. People were kept out of the loop and they thought they were being sort of done over. It was a tone yeah, as well, wasn't yeah, it? what do you think about this thing? I think it's the tone. What got Osborne in trouble is even he could say, you know, this is all we can get from them because of the current rules, I'm afraid, and kind of talk about it that way. It was the way he kind of sold it as this massive, you know, success for him personally Maybe and the government. The so yeah. the, the way they, he sold it was, a mistake I think he could have said we've got this money I know it's not as much as you think it should be but this is the reasons why as Paul just laid out it was kind of the the initial glee which then kind of unraveled but it wasn't but it's not sure it can't just be because George Osborne sent a tweet saying major success that people are annoyed surely no, it's, no, the, no. it's the figure itself it's billions and billions of pounds it, I know that because I googled it obviously it's the number itself but I think the tone in which he announced it didn't really help matters I think it painted him as kind of being happy with them not paying It, that it much. does matter actually the PR in this and the, and the way he pitched it because you know anyone who takes a serious look at what's happening in corporate taxation knows that actually it's very difficult for us to just unilaterally slap big corporate taxes on any corporate global corporation. They're going to move around the globe, they're going to move their headquarters wherever is the lowest place for tax. And the only solution to this is not unilateral, but it's actually a global agreement on tax rates. Now there is where I think Labour have missed the trick in pointing out that actually Osborne, despite all the grand rhetoric from him and the David Cameron last year at the G20 about the really in favour about clamping down on tax avoidance, actually the US and some other countries and some of the EU say that Britain was undermining those attempts to get a proper crackdown because we're really, really keen on this arms race of getting low corporation taxes individually in our country, a sort of beggar thy neighbour approach, rather than a global solution to making sure there's a proper answer to it. I think also... The timing as well. People are filling in their tax returns at the moment, so people are. It's in people's mind, right? Because it's going to be on January thirty yeah, first, yeah. and they're getting old in a minute. You're doing three percent, and as and as one of the questions, Jeff, I believe you emailed Jeff. That's Norman with a J, a G, not a G. Yeah, Jeff. The question from him was, you know, how do I get the same tax rate yeah. as Google when I'm doing my? Uh, my well, again, my politically returns. though, there's a problem for Jeremy Corbyn in asking that very question because the implication behind that question from Jeff, Jeff wanted a, a low tax rate as low as as Google's. Yeah. Um, now, if you're Jeremy Corbyn, you want people to pay more tax, not have a low-tax economy. So I'm not quite sure that works. Also, the other thing is that what we've discovered, and, and Owen, you wrote about it, is that this whole issue of personal tax is now opened up in a British way, in perhaps which may mirror what happens in the States, where all presidential candidates have to declare their tax returns and say what their own personal tax status is. Donald Trump done that? I, I think he must have. Yeah, he have, have to. to do it. it was a long-running thing, wasn't it? He'll have to do it. And, and what happened this week is we put the question after PMQs to Jeremy Corbyn's office and they said, well, unlike Ed Miliband, he may well look seriously at the idea of releasing his own tax returns. If he does, David Cameron's in a bit of a bind because Cameron has always assumed the opposition will never do it. And he said, I'll only do it if the others do it. And that could be interesting. It could be a bit embarrassing for the PM. This brings us on nicely to this week's quiz. Now, I've been away in the past couple of weeks. And I only got the quiz was it was better. Well, the ratings were much higher. Yeah, it doesn't matter, does it? It's, qu it's quality, not quantity. <laughs> right, it? But Graham did text me asking Cuba, so I get these random texts just saying Bowie or Noe, yeah, <laughs> or pay in or correct. bail out, whatever it was. Yeah. Nonsense. This yeah, is a, this brilliant. is one about corporate tax rates, right? <laughs> oh, good. I'm calling. You've got to decide whether these countries have got a lower corporation tax rate than the UK. UK okay. is twenty percent. Okay, so if it's lower, it's a haven for tax. If it's higher, it's a Google whack. 
That's not yeah. bad. And the quiz that I'm calling Big Yellow Taxi. <laughs> All right? Go back to Cuba. Yeah, Cuba stays your bird. Shut up. Okay, right. So the UK corporation oh. tax is 20%. Uh, it's Macedonia. Is that got a higher or lower corporation so, tax rate? If it's higher, it's Google Whack. And if it's lower, it's Haven for Tax. Haven for Tax. I think it's, I think it's lower. You think it's I'm lower? Macedonia. Yeah, I, I suspect that's lower. Yeah, so, so it's Haven for Tax. Yeah, Haven for Tax, 10%. Wow, 10. Latvia. Haven for Tax or Google Wax? No, I think Latvia's Google Wax. I think Haven for Tax. I think it's higher. It's lower. It's 15%. The United Arab Emirates. <laughs> is that a haven for tax or is that Google Wax? That's got to be a haven for tax, surely. This surely. Is a, this is a, a googly from, on Google from Owen. I reckon that's higher than Britain. You wouldn't expect it, but I reckon that's Google Wax. 55%. Yes. Wow. 55% really? corporation tax in the UAE. Well, I'm wow. shocked. I know, I'm shocked. Uh, France. That must be higher than us. Go- yeah, Google Wax. Google 33.33. Japan. <laughs> That's higher. Oh, surely. Google whacked. Um, yeah, Google whacked. Go on, because you asked me to get this over with. Okay. It's 33.06. It's a really odd <laughs> number, right? Very specific. Very There's specific. something weird. Uh, okay, and let's do the final one, which is uh, Kazakhstan. 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 Um, I reckon that's very low. Let's yeah. say, I haven't got it down as a tax haven, but maybe it's desperate now Tony Blair's advising it. I reckon it Blair could be so. very low. So, yeah, tax haven. Yeah, me too. I, I agree. Haven for tax. It's the same. It's 20%. Oh. It's 20%. Oh, so that's why it's in there. Well, you, that wasn't an option. Yeah. Well, you, actually, yeah. This is a stitch up. It's not a stitch up, is it? I'm just trying to keep you on your toes. <laughs> so, there we are. So, was that better than Bowie or Noe? Or uh, no. It wasn't. No. No. Uh, okay, well, I'm sorry that the glam rock star died a week after the other Okay. It wasn't just Google tax which was brought up at PMQs this week. David Cameron made a rather sort of unfortunate comment when he was having a go at Jeremy Corbyn. Let's have a listen to this now. The idea that those two right honourable gentlemen would stand up to anyone in this regard is laughable. Look at the record over the last week. They met with the unions and they gave them flying pickets. They met with the Argentinians, they gave them the Falkland Islands. They met with a bunch of migrants in Calais, they said they could all come to Britain. The only people they never stand up with are the British people and hard-working taxpayers. We're joined now by Louise Ridley, who is a news reporter here at Huffington Post, who was watching PMQs. What was your reaction when David Cameron used the phrase bunch of migrants? It was kind of, oh no, not again, really. I think, um, as we know, this adds to quite a long list of camera making unfortunate or, or tactless, depending on your view, comments to do with migrants or immigrants or refugees. Uh, it's particularly sensitive because the day he made the comment was actually um, a Holocaust Memorial Day, so a lot of discussion of people moving around, people escaping terrible situations, of course. There were sombre bits at the beginning of PNQ, yeah. wasn't there? Everyone was, you know, rightly paying tribute to, to, mm. to survivors of, of the Holocaust and that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah, and I think the thing that makes it worse is that several people have pointed out on Twitter that this comment wasn't didn't seem to be a slip of the tongue, it seemed to be scripted, because he was firing off about three jibes at um, mm. Corbyn. He clearly prepared to you know, do, do well in this discussion. So it, it was actually scripted rather than him casually, accidentally saying something that, that clearly offended a lot of people. So um, not very good, was my response. What, what are the comments he's made in the past then? Because you um, mentioned there that he's 
Mm. Or, or we had the key one in about um, July last year at the real peak of the, the migration crisis when everyone was really, really getting very heated about this and becoming aware of it. Uh, he called a group of, he said there was a swarm of migrants coming across the Mediterranean, which caused huge offence and really opened up the debate a lot more around whether people should be called migrants or refugees. Uh, language is really, really important and very, very sensitive in this debate, as we know. Uh, he also said only this month... Um, around the idea of teaching Muslim women to speak English and how he was saying people should leave the country if they weren't taught to speak English. Uh, he said something around uh, the traditional submissiveness of Muslim women, which caused a lot of offence as well. So he's kind of got a history of this, came at a bad time, and especially also as they've just announced this week that they are going to accept more unaccompanied child migrants. They haven't said how many. It gives a really conflicting message if Cameron's using... You know, Corbyn's hanging out with migrants. Cameron's saying this is a this is a poor thing. He's using this to insult him. Yet on the other hand, he's saying uh, we will help all these poor child migrants. So there's a real people, conflict there. Is this not people on Twitter though, just wringing their hands and getting overexcited? And you know, does it really make a difference? It's just a word. I mean, just I think that that's, you think, Paul? that I think that's too glib an analysis. I mean, we got this sort of we got this cycle now. What happens politically, which is a politician will say something. Some people will will say it's out of order and they'll take offence. And other people then say, ah, oh, the outrage brigade are out in force and it's all, you know, it's all quite um, uh, meaningless. But it does matter and it matters, as, as Louise was suggesting, because language matters. You know, it, it's, it doesn't operate in a vacuum, our language. And without wanting to be politically correct at all, just for the sake of it, what people say suggests how they will act. So it's not just about words, it's about deeds. So if David Cameron calls some people a bunch of migrants, you might assume he treats them as a bunch of migrants. If they're a bunch of migrants, then you're going to be quite dismissive about how you handle them. There is a bigger issue, though, about conflating migrants and refugees. I'm not quite sure whether or not he saw the footage of Corbyn in any detail, because if he had seen the footage of Corbyn, he wouldn't have seen him just taking selfies or surrounded by lots of men in their 20s and 30s, single men. Which is, it, the, which is the accusation often put forward, Which is basically it? what a bunch of migrants was getting at. Yeah. But if he looked at the footage properly, Corbyn was there with a lot of women and children, young children who were sick in this muddy field with no health care, no real sort of proper shelter. And he was, uh, Corbyn was expressing a sort of a human reaction to that. Now, Cameron himself he obviously has a human reaction to these things. He's got kids himself. And that's why, as, as Louise says, we're seeing him direct support, particularly at children. That's why it didn't make any sense politically, because it undermined David Cameron's own message, which is actually help the unaccompanied migrants, help the children, help them in region, um, but if, if, if there's anyone you accept his country, it's going to be the children. So it kind of undermined his own case. We had a, a Labour spokesperson this morning being quizzed about this and whether Cameron should or shouldn't have said that um, this morning, and they said, the Prime Minister thinks the key thing here is getting the policy right, and I would argue that that is obviously key, but he's not taking into account that language is very important too, and given this history he's got of comments that have caused offence, if he really cared about this, he would have reconsidered his language. So as Paul says, it's all about context, really. One of the big things was, was this infamous dead cat strategy, which is when you just, in order to divert from another piece of news, you do something completely outrageous. So the idea was that the theory being put forward here is that David Cameron wanted to move the agenda on from the Google tax deal, say something outrageous about migrants, and that shifts it away. I mean, I don't buy that. I don't think David Cameron thought like that. I think that's the the, the press trying to sort of overthink it. Ned, what do you think? Well, that's when I ask that same question. I'm not sure either way. I think... What he that, that attack on Corbyn that we played there it was, if not scripted, it was deliberately done to try and make the headlines from PMQs not about Google, 
but about Corbyn and about Labour. Now, it maybe it worked too well, and maybe that that line didn't expect to be picked up that much, and he hadn't actually thought it through. But I think there was probably a deliberate act on his part to try and change the topic of conversation. And the Tories are very happy, let's be honest. I've talked yeah. to a few Tories, actually. They're quite happy that, that, in some way, some of these headlines are negative, because they, they think the only people who were, it's got a negative reaction is on the Twitterati, the sort of, you know, the chattering classes. People are never going to vote actually, Tories anyway, right? Yeah, people who are never going to vote Tory. was people who are in the middle who, as you know, uh, treat this as a balanced issue. It's all about a balance between my, balance, my control migration and compassion for refugees. Most normal people are in the middle. In key marginal seats, they're in the middle, and they treat both equally, which is the problem with Corbyn's position. Corbyn sounded this week like someone who was basically the chief executive of Save the Children Fund. He did not sound like a leader of opposition, so his critics sink in the Labour Party. One of the problems is he's not sounding like a, a prime minister in waiting. And prime ministers in waiting balance issues. They, they have a policy solution. There wasn't many in, in terms of solutions coming out from Corbyn. But also they don't just react as a commentator. They, they take part in the narrative. So you can't get a hearing on immigration or on asylum unless you say the prerequisites, which is there are worries about migration. Corbyn doesn't do the first part. And we also have to make sure we remember that everything about migration has been the context of the EU referendum that's coming up. So everything Cameron's saying about this is clearly in his head. If it's not about the election in 2020, it's the referendum, which could happen as soon as June. So anything about migration is going to play into that massively in terms of him thinking he can he can win an, an in-campaign. What I thought was interesting as well was the Tories cheered the first two points he made when he said bunch of migrants the Tories didn't cheer. Someone else who, who didn't react was Jeremy Corbyn, who didn't then follow up with the bunch. You know, Hillary Benn sitting next to him going, bunch of migrants, bunch of migrants, these are people. Jeremy Corbyn didn't then pick up on his next question and shows he can't really think on his feet, perhaps. Louise, thanks so much for coming in. Much appreciated. Very welcome. Ned mentioned it just now, the EU referendum is uh, as ever in the headlines. Here's a clip from last night's Newsnight when the former Swedish Prime Minister Carl Bildt was asked if Britain would still be able to act as a single market uh, but not uh, accept freedom of movement. Do you think it's possible we would have full access to the single market without free movement of people? No. You don't? I don't. Pretty unequivocal there that Britain, if it wanted a single market, would have to still accept freedom of movement of people. Now, David Cameron this week has um, his plan to call the referendum in June appears to be floundering. He's cancelled a planned trip to Scandinavia to have a meeting with European Commission President John Claude Juncker. This is to talk about the renegotiation uh, of, of the UK's relationship with the EU and the thorny issue of migration and to do with Cameron's plan to set a salary bar for migrants before they can claim in-work benefits. The Germans, don't, they kind of back it in theory, but there's, there's discussion at what level the salary should be. I mean, are we going to get the referendum in June, Paul? Well, it's still very possible. Some people are number 10. Obviously, it's about expectations management. And Philip Hammond this week suggesting, oh, it might be a bit later. It changes every day. But the, the fact is, if the PM is, is rushing to Brussels tomorrow to see Juncker, and he's also going to see... In London on Sunday, uh, Donald Tusk, the guy who's in charge of all these complex negotiations, there's all these 28 countries about what Britain wants ahead of a referendum. He's got these two key meetings this weekend. Now, you could read it two ways. One is, these are the final bits of the jigsaw just before a, a summit in, in mid-February, uh, early February, and that then a June referendum will happen, and all of us will have to then go to the polls in June, possibly June the 23rd, um, on this whole issue of sitting in or out of Europe. You could read it another way, which is a bit of panic. Oh, last minute, two key meetings. They haven't actually got it in the bag. There's some people suggest in Brussels that actually... 
Britain is nowhere near getting a full agreement. It might have to be late February uh, or possibly even March. So it's not there at all for sure. That's, that's certain. But the politics of this, I think, are, are very interesting, obviously, within the Tory party. Um, we saw uh, only this morning in The Sun a claim that actually Boris Johnson now may finally join the Remain well, campaign the idea, I've got to say, rather right, than the Leave campaign. I've got to say, the idea that Boris Johnson was ever going to campaign for Britain to leave the EU was absolute nonsense. Yeah. If anyone who's listened to anything Boris Johnson said in the past couple of years, he's always said, yes, Britain could survive outside the EU, but it's much better if we're inside. He's always backed the renegotiation. He, he, he spent how much money I don't know on a report whether Britain should stay in and it came out saying we could do either. He's never, he's always just showing a little bit of leg to the so out campaigners. Are we going to end up with then like the biggest figure that's campaigning to leave apart from Farage being Chris Grayling? It's because there's an inspiring... Well that's the interesting point. I mean it looks as though if you're Theresa May she's the last big fish that the Eurosceps are hoping to land that could possibly campaign for Brexit. The reason that would be interesting is because one of the strongest cars that the in campaign have got is look, you're more secure within the European Union. We've got things like European arrest warrant, we've got all these Interpol, we've got all these sort of um, arrangements with other security services across Europe which make us safer. However, if, if Theresa May were to suddenly say, look, actually, with all her experience as a Home Secretary, look, we're not less safe outside Europe, that would be a big deal. I have to say, there's some Eurosceptics really doubt she's ever going to go anywhere near it because of her own experience on the European arrest warrant. They've been campaigning for ages against the European arrest warrant. She's been backing it. Well, so, but what, you know. what I would do is, in a future leadership contest for the Tory party, it would separate Theresa May out yeah. from her rivals, wouldn't it? If she, if she was the one who said, you know... I'm not going to do it. Um, there was also, with the various Leave campaigns, there's three now. Yeah, there's what's going on with them? There's Votely, there's Grassroots, Go. there's, there's, there's grassroots Labour, out. there's loads of them. But the, one of the ones, um, which is Vote Leave, which is seen as very much the kind of more sort of sensible one, for want of a better word, there's been a coup, there's been an attempted <laughs> coup in this campaign to try and get the guys running it. A guy called Dominic Cummings, who used to advise Michael Gove, and a guy called Matthew Elliott, who was heavily involved with the No to AV campaign. There, there's been sort of criticisms that the campaign's not really taken off that much and it's not merging with other campaigns. And Who was behind the coup? Was, I mean, it was, what, who? was Bernard Jenkin, who is a Tory MP of many, many years, one of the Maastricht rebels, mm. which is a, a vote in, in 93, which was sort of seen as sowing the seeds of Euroscepticism within the Tory parties, this kind of, this kind of group. Apparently the, the coup failed to try and get rid of these guys at the top. But what this does, it's another example of the vote leave or the get out, whatever campaign you yeah. want to, you're talking about. Just not being on the same page, not putting together. They're too busy fighting each other to fight this referendum at the moment. And I think they're in real, real trouble of not getting a coherent message out. Do you think they've been waiting this long for the referendum? You know, years and years and years. And it comes days, months away potentially, and they're fighting each other. Absolutely. It's it's a problem, but I wouldn't overstate the problem, to be frank. I mean, how many people out there know there are even two in and out campaigns? I'm not sure they even know. And, and, And this is where I think voter apathy really kicks in. I personally think a big factor in all of this as whether or not we stay or, or leave the European Union could be how many people turn out, whether it's in June or in September. And I really do think there's a risk for David Cameron and the in-campaign that actually many people won't give a damn and they'll actually just not turn out where the people who will turn out in great numbers are the people motivated to get us out of Europe. Eurosceptics, and there's a lot of them. A large chunk of them, they're not just Tory voters, they're UKIP voters, they're Labour voters. They're motivated to turn out and say, I'll oh, bugger, bugger the lot of them. And they may well turn out. And if turnout goes below 60%, people in Whitehall are really worried about losing it. Uh, I thought it was a bad week for this week was Work and Pension Secretary Ian Duncan-Smith. He... Uh, lost another vote in the House of Lords on part of his welfare reforms, which was cutting 
money to uh, disabled job seekers. Uh, the Court of Appeal ruled the so-called bedroom tax discriminated against a domestic violence victim and the family of a disabled teenager. Labour asked an urgent question in the Commons today about this, but instead of answering directly, Ian Duncan Smith decided to sit whispering in the ear of his junior minister, Justin Tomlinson, who was tasked with responding from the front bench. Here is a clip of Labour MP Andrew Gwynn having a, a bit of a pop here at the Tory front bench, and it is it's quite feisty. Here we go. We've now had, Mr Speaker, over half an hour of non-answers from yeah, this hapless yeah, minister, yeah, yeah, yeah. when actually we wanted his boss, the Secretary yeah, of State, to come to this dispatch box to defend this... this disgusting and pernicious policy. Will he now answer the question set out by my honourable friend, the member for Hull North? How much is this government wasting of public money to defend the indefensible? Yeah. It's, uh, that level of anger pretty much matched uh, some of the families I met waiting on the waiting list that you wish to turn a blind eye to. Bizarre response there for Justin Tomlinson. Ned, you were watching this debate. Was Ian Dungsmith really whispering in his ear? Yeah, a few times we've given him some hints. It was quite, it was almost kind of trolling Labour by turning up but not answering questions. So but he turned up, yeah. he sat on the front bench. And then occasionally get kind of whispered to his junior minister and looked at the Labour benches opposite. And you're right, he kind of had these losses. He lost a vote in the Lords. He lost a court case which they're going to challenge in the Supreme Court. But it isn't like he really cares. I think he's kind of quite happy to sit there and take all this abuse and the kind of criticism of Labour over the bedroom tax. But I'm not sure he's that bothered. I mean, they won the election. It's outwardly, he doesn't seem to be that... He, he feels like, yeah, we've been doing this for five years. And yeah, he he thinks he's right. So yeah. it just doesn't seem to be that shame. But the curious thing is that long term, compassionate conservatism is going to suffer as a brand. And believe me... Does it still exist as a brand? Well, think? I think it does. A lot of, I mean, Cameron's speech to conference last year after winning the general election, was all about tackling social problems in Britain. It's all about saying to people out there, moderate voters, look, we've sorted the economy, but we're going to do something bit bigger. We're going to leave a legacy, Cameron thinks, which is being fairer to people. It undercuts that message of the whole bedroom tax appeal. Is the government wasting money on appealing against these poor people who've, who've lost this money? I mean, the, the, the interesting thing for me is that the concessions that have already been made in the last two years by the government on the bedroom tax, things like foster parents, things like uh, severely disabled siblings, um, they're undermining their own case and saying, look, we can be fair but we can to, to both people. We can be fair to people on the waiting list but fair to people who are in need. They're undermining that by actually doing this appeal. And I think that's what was strange about IDS turning up today. That leads us nicely onto Graham's stats of the week. But Graham's not here, is he? Graham's <laughs> in Thailand. Right, everyone's on holiday. What do I get, get some to go? more sun than I've got in Cuba. <laughs> Cloudy. Go to the Caribbean. You expect sun, <laughs> didn't you? You know what I got? Maybe. I got bad food. <laughs> did, so you didn't even get cloudy with a chance of meatballs? No, it was bad food and, like, communism. The worst about communism, is it? The, the, bad, the bad food. Yeah, food. I'd say that. <laughs> Anyway, anyway start, start of the week. week. Right, next, okay. next to right. the so I haven't on. actually read this right this I time. I wrote it in my own handwriting, this so good luck reading it. Okay, right. Including last night's... I don't know what that word says. Oh, including last night's vote, the government has been defeated 27 times in the House of Lords since the election. Yep. This, this might... What, what on earth? This might sound high, but in 1975 to 76, Labour were defeated 126 times in the Lords. Wow. So the Lords needs to up its game. Yeah, there'll be a comment there on the stats. Yeah, like, there you uh, go. That's that's Graham's stat of the week. Graham's stat of the week. Covered, of the week. covered by Ned. <laughs> so I uh, hope you enjoyed it this week. We'll be back next. Is Graham back next week? No, no he's not. No. Brilliant. So anyway, so be us, us three amigos again. Uh, take care and see you next week. Thanks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 